What is going on everyone? My name is Colin, also known as The Decade Investor, and welcome back to The Decade Investor Podcast. In this episode, I interview my brother, and we talk about a lot of things money, but we focus mainly on how to manage your finances as a married couple. He's been married for about two years, and they have a system in place to help them win with their money as a married couple. So if that's something you want to learn more about, here is the episode. I hope you enjoy. What is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Decade Investor Podcast. My name is Colin, also known as the Decade Investor, and I'm here with my brother. He is uh, a couple years older than me, but he has been investing for a while, right? Yep, probably about as long as you have, or I guess a little bit longer, because I'm a bit older, but uh, yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. Uh, my brother is a little bit different in terms of his career path. He is a software developer. So he knows a little bit more about technology than I do. Um, but he, he has a very interesting story, but also he is recently married in the last couple of years. And so in this episode, we want to talk about maybe merging finances as a newly married couple, how you guys did that, what advice you can give to other people that are, you know, getting married or married and, and um, looking to merge their finances. So appreciate you coming on to the show today. Let's kick this thing off by just asking straight up, How'd you get started investing and, and why did you get started investing? Yeah, great question. So it's very similar to the story that you have. So I, this was about the time of Robin Hood coming into the, into the world and, uh, put some money into a, an investment account and thought day trading was going to make me uh, a millionaire. And I think I lost a couple hundred dollars, lost another couple hundred dollars and then probably another couple hundred dollars and realized that Something else is out there that is probably better than this, at least more reliable than this from an investment standpoint. And I looked into, uh, looked at, just started looking and learning into learning about investments and led me into going to school, um, not for finance, but, uh, alongside my aerospace degree, uh, I took a couple of finance courses just to get my feet wet and actually ended up getting my first job at a mutual fund company and doing trading, uh, trading algorithms for them. So really looked uh, to finance to kind of understand what is the right path to at least having some sort of savings. And I let that led me into a kind of my mindset that's very similar to yours. At, that is broad market ETFs, not so much trading, um, just kind of letting the market do what it does and being patient and consistent. And that's really my my background as far as finance goes. Yeah. So you're kind of like a, a decade investor, right? You're like, I, a, you're like the brother of him, but you also are. In some ways, investor, since right? I am older, you could say you, you're decade investor senior. You're decade investor senior. I'm decade investor uh, a junior. Yeah. Um, what is like? I know you have. I know what you have. But for the audience, what um, in terms of like portfolio makeup, mm-hmm. not just like uh, actual specifics in the stock market, but uh, different types of asset classes that you are in. Um, what do you are you in real estate? Do you have cryptocurrency? Are you in just the stock market? Uh, what just asset classes as a whole, uh, do you, do you, uh, have your money in? Yeah. Great question. So the vast majority of, of me and my partners funds are in the stock market. Um, at either it's an SPY or a VOO or something like that, where it's just a very broad market ETF. 
Um, and th- whether that's in a 401k tax advantaged account or um, more recently starting to build up a, a more tax, whatever you call it, taxable, like, brokerage. taxable brokerage account. Yeah. Uh, but really try to put um, quite a bit of, of the net worth into that. And then you mentioned real estate. Uh, we do own two properties and one of them that we rent out, one that we're likely going to rent out in the very near future. And so do have a reasonable portion of, of the net worth there. And that's a whole different ball game. Um, inter- more interesting, I would say, than my investment strategy, because my investment strategy is buy it and forget about it. Uh, there's a lot more calls to plumbers and electricians in the, the real estate world. Yeah, that's one thing I like about the stock market is, uh, you know, you could own REITs, right, where like you have by nature of just the, the uh, asset itself, you are having some exposure to real estate um, or you just buy like broad market ETFs. Uh, there's no 2 a.m. Hey, my my toilet's overflowing, right? Or, or something um, that can happen in real estate that, that doesn't happen, happen in the stock market. Uh, so like I said, you just recently got married, I guess recently in the last couple of years. Two years? Yep, yeah, two, two years. years. And um, I'm curious, and I don't have this experience yet, um, and so for my audience, I think it would be really good to talk about how did you and your your wife merge your finances in terms of like, did you guys set up different bank accounts and flow it that way? Did you, what, what was kind of just like the merging of finances and, and how did that process work? Yeah, I, I really think there's no right answer. It's totally dependent on the the two individuals that are, are in a in a relationship or in a partnership. Um totally dependent on is one more spendy than the other. Sometimes you're totally aligned. Uh, for what worked for us was that even before we got married, we started to merge accounts. We had separate in re- retirement accounts and um, investment accounts. But as far as like our daily spending money, uh, we merged those pretty early on. And we trusted each other because there is, when you're depositing you know, your paycheck together, uh, you have to really trust that person that you're going to be aligned financially and spend the money the way that you you both at least somewhat agree on. But well, we really we started that out early and um, opened up the conversation as far as what are our financial goals in the short term and then in the long term, very early on in our relationship. And we continue to have those conversations, I would say, like every couple of months and just do a check in. You know, how are things going? Are we looking to move soon? Are we looking to, like right now, uh, my car's getting to the point where maybe we need to get a new car. So how, when do we want to do that? Are we willing to take the potential risk of a costly repair um, and make that a part of our relationship beyond how are we doing as a, a couple from an emotional standpoint? Yeah. Was there any difficulties with merging finances? I mean, Statistically, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the biggest reason why a lot of marriages end up in a divorce is due to financial reasons, right? For multitude of financial reasons, but money is one of, if not the biggest reason as to why divorces occur. Now, was there any difficulties that you guys had? Maybe not difficulties, but anything you had to overcome or, or any like differences that you potentially had that you had to you know, work together, work through as it pertains to the money topic? Yeah, very. It was actually a not a difficult p- part of our relationship, but it definitely took a little bit of 
working each other out a little bit to understand what worked for both of us. Um, by just by inherent, like in, my inherent nature is to to be a lot more minimalist and not spend as much um, on items or even on experiences. Uh, and my my wife's is a little bit more. She's by no means spendy, but she's a, a little bit more spendy than I am. And so it was, we were both pretty close, but it was just a matter of getting to something that worked for both of us. And what we learned is we just picked one at first. And the one that we picked was mine, my inherent you know, nature of spending. And we realized pretty quickly it wasn't the right one because it was a little too restrictive. So we continue to have those conversations at that point it was like every week and we just kept talking and saying okay what what's what do we want to change what do we want to change and I used to be the one looking at the accounts and making sure that everything was cool now it's totally reversed and she does a lot of that and she's the one that's kind of quote-unquote in control of our financial life and I love that because at first it was a little bit more on my plate um, but we've been able to come to a conclusion together where now we both feel comfortable and really, really fortunately, it's not like a huge topic of conversation on a daily basis. Yeah. I've, I've watched like Steve Harvey has this video where, you know, he, he talks about, um, newly married couples and finances. And I don't know how the Dave Ramsey approach to this. Uh, I can't recall off the top of my head, but, but, uh, Steve Harvey talks about, having basically one bank account where all like income flows to, right? So whether it be from a job, a business, something flows into account A. Account A is, is like the hub, right? All money flows to A. And then maybe collective bills, right? So, you know, you own a house, mortgage, you rent, the rent, um, the electric, electric bill, um, all other types of bills that you sh- both share, right? Just by nature of living flows out of account A. And then uh, Steve Harvey says to have separate accounts for, you know, the account B and C, B being, you know, the wife uh, or, or spouse one, C is the husband or spouse two. This is your, you know, you get a certain dollar allowance, quote unquote, per month that you just get to spend. You don't have to ask the husband or the wife or your partner, hey, can I go get my nails done? Or, hey, can I go get some beers with my buddies, right? You get whatever amount, right? It's going to be different for everyone um, in terms of their income. But you get a, just a, basically a, this is your account for the month. No questions asked. Spend whatever. Mm-hmm. Or save it and do whatever. Like, it's your kind of like your, your allowance as a kid in a way. Like, right. You, hey, no questions. This is just our baseline for, for both yeah. individuals. Let's say, yeah. I mean, again, I'm going to throw out a number here and it's not, it's relative to everyone's income. So if someone's making, you know, household income, hundred grand versus 200 grand is going to look different. Right. And then what their goals are, but let's say it's $500 a month. Each mm-hmm. person gets or $300 a month. That literally does not matter. Point being, okay, if you want to go get your nails done and it's $55 this week or this month, go do it. You don't have to ask me if to call me. If I want to go get some beers with my buddies and it's going to cost $27 to get three beers or four beers, go do it. Right now, if you want to go buy a $1,000 TV or something, 
hey, now we need to have this conversation, right? Um, and so he says- $500 podcast mic, something yeah, like something that. Yeah, something like that, right? You know, <laughs> so, it's like, so it's like B and C. And then like D is kind of more for like, here's our long-term goals, right? So maybe we're saving for a house. Maybe we're saving for a new car, right? For the both of us, or we're saving for something that we're collectively saving towards. So they kind of he kind of mentions like four bank accounts. And I might've uh, butchered that a little bit in terms of how he set it up, but it was something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Do you guys follow- some system like that, um, obviously you don't have to get to like the specifics, but is there a system that you guys follow in terms of like bank account structure or flow structure mm-hmm. to uh, help you guys win as a couple with your finances? Yeah, great question. And I think there's a lot of debate on this as far as what works for people. Um, I've heard that a lot where there's some account that probably maintains like you called it the hub. It's like the hub account and then let's call it the allowance accounts for each individual to do whatever they choose to do. That's an approach that we haven't taken. We've taken a bit different approach that we feel is enables us to be like more collective with the way that we decide what we spend our money on. And really we just have one allowance account for the both of us. And the way that we look at that account is it is our spending money, but it's for both of us. So sometimes I'll be a little more spendy. Other times she'll be a little more spendy, but all in all, like we're a team and we're together and sometimes you have to give and take. And it, it kind of teaches us that on like a monthly basis that we're always, we're always like in a little bit of a limbo of, okay, I understand this is important to you. So in turn, as a display of affection or love or whatever, like I understand that that's more important to you than whatever I would have chosen to do with, let's call it 50% of it. So um, that's the approach we take. It also is more difficult because there are times where it just happens to be be there are two things we want at the same time. Yeah. Um, But that I want a new keyboard for my software engineering clicks. Yeah. And, you know, she wants something else. I get it. Yeah. 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 So Dave Ramsey approach. Is different from that. The Dave Ramsey approach is do not combine finances until you're married. He also thinks that you should not live together until you're married. Like he has obviously there's a multitude of layers to that, but one of those being specifically about money is you do not combine your finances and mm-hmm. until you are married. You said earlier you guys combine them prior to marriage. Was that a Obviously, it was a personal choice, but what was the reasoning behind that? And, and and do you think other couples or newly married or soon-to-be-married couples should or could follow that that avenue that you guys took? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we decided to combine finances prior to the marriage ceremony, um, and we lived together prior prior to marriage. So negative, double, and... Uh, Double whammy in terms of... <laughs> Double Dave Ramsey yeah, against, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not calling in to his, his podcast anytime soon. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Hi, I'm the Decade Investor brother. Do you know who I am? Senior. Yeah. Senior, uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but really, it, it was just out of... More so out of necessity and like simplicity because when we did have separate accounts, there were there was just some things where we were Venmoing back and forth and we got tired of... Venmoing back and forth because in our eyes, we were, and this is a, this doesn't always work out, but we were very confident that we were progressing to a level where we were going to be very committed to each other. And so it made sense to us that we would combine finances at that time. I put an asterisk on that because 
while we were very confident, there was there's still no guarantee in this world. Uh, but nonetheless, that's what we did. Um, and it did just allow us to put everything in one pot, so to speak. And then when we're paying the rent, when we're paying the electrical, we're paying for certain things. It's a lot, lot simpler that way. Yeah. And then would you recommend that to other people to yeah. do or like, what's the, was it a, not necessarily a, uh, unique case. I mean, every case is unique inherently, but do you recommend other people do something similar or what's your, what's your not financial advice? Yeah. Not financial advice, um, with all the asterisks on it, but what I, I, I don't know if I could really suggest that to other couples because, Couples progress in different ways and there's different levels of commitment. Some people it's two weeks in and you just know it, it's going to work. And other, other times you just don't, not sure. And until you feel very comfortable with that person and their cap their abilities and capabilities to at least have the conversation with you as far as, Hey, I saw this happened. Can we talk about it? Uh, I would say until you feel that level of transparency and communication in their relationship, I would shy away from from sorting anything or organizing anything together just because it can cause a lot more harm than good. Yeah. So what would you say then to couples that are new or soon to be married or recently married? How can they win with their finances? What What is like some actionable steps that that people can take to win with their finances as a new couple, newly married couple? Yeah, I, I think there's a few easy steps. I think the first one's to open up the conversation. A lot of times, either both or one person could probably, it's probably interested in learning more um, than others. You know, and, and I think even from talking with you, although I am decade investor senior, right. uh, I learn a lot from you. And while we're also not a couple, I think just communication in general and learning from a trusted source is always good. We are so, not a couple. We are not a couple. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're brothers. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that opened up the door to conversation and learning from the other person. I know my, my wife and I have had many conversations like this and she's taught me things and I've taught her things as far as really what ended up being like what works for us. So first would be opening that, that conversation and having it at some period of time. At, with that being said, second date's probably not the time to have that conversation. But at some point when things get serious, you start having that conversation every couple of weeks or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing would be to, once that door's open, Talk about what are our savings goals. For some people, there is no savings goals. It's let's right now. It's it's the time in our lives that we're looking to utilize whatever excess money we have to do fun stuff or travel, whatever that is, and that's totally okay as long as both people agree to that. Uh, and like in in my case specifically, I was the other way where I thought in my high, my mind it's my time to save money. Well, mm -hmm. through conversations with my wife, we decided, well, we can have a little bit of fun all, along the way and, and not be as... No fun. No fun gets you somewhere, but it's not fun on the journey. That's... Whatever the saying yeah, is. Yeah. The journey, not the destination. Bars. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah. 
I mean, I've actually, I've read a lot of like fire related conversations or topics or posts where people will do fire, which for those that don't know, fire is financial independence, retire early. It's the acronym and it's a movement of people to excessively oversave. And I say that not in a negative way, just like they're saving 60, 70, 80% of their income. And usually it's high income earners, but they're saving so much money so that they can retire early at 37, 42, mm-hmm. right? But I, I read stories all the time of people saying, I reached retirement, whatever that number is, I reached retirement early at 37. I left my job because that was my goal. And now I have these regrets that I didn't enjoy life because I was overly saving and aggressively saving. And uh, I, I've said on my podcast before, like there is a point in your life where you have to save more than normal or invest more than normal if you want to expedite potential goals that you have. Um, but if you put in that hard work for just a couple of years, maybe not even that long, depending on your income, uh, you can really expedite that process and then reel it back in. That's why I started young and early when I did is that I've worked really hard at 25 to get, well, to get to where I am at 25, where I can kind of take the foot off the gas and still be in a really good spot at 40 versus if I would have just saved nothing and then try to play catch up at 30. Uh, just math, math is against you at that point. Do you agree with that? I, I completely agree with that. And that's the perspective I took as well. It, the, the power of compounding is, is the eighth wonder of the world. I think you've said that yeah, a few you, times. Do you know who said it? Uh, Warren Buffett? Nope. Older. Einstein? Yeah, Einstein. Einstein. Albert Einstein. Okay. Eighth wonder of the world, compound interest. Yes. Yeah. And maybe that's what he was waiting on is to, to figure that one out. But we have, and we're talking about it, and that's that's the perspective that I have taken along with my wife, that if we just put in a couple of years of pretty hard work as far as just like- Savings take, rate? Like, savings rate, like yeah. essentially saying no to a couple. I mean, it really doesn't take much. It's a couple. Of, hey, we don't need that new couch. Our couch works for now and we'll get back to it if we really want it in a couple of years. It's those decisions that we've been able to essentially delay gratification for a couple of years and be in a very similar position to you where now we feel comfortable with where we're where we are that we can take the foot off the gas, like you said, and continue to save, but it's less important in our future. And if there are times where it doesn't make sense to save or we want to take some time off of work, we feel comfortable doing that. And to go back to what you said about fire, retiring, we really had a conversation, a very deep conversation about what does retiring early look like? And we both really thought about it and decided we don't want to retire early. Yeah. Maybe we do something different. For example, my wife really wants to be a barista at a coffee shop. She could do that. And that but that's not retiring. Barista fire. Have you heard of barista fire? I have. Yeah, yeah. Barista fire. Well, like I've always thought too, I think the people that want to retire early are those that don't love what they do. And that's fine. No one, you don't, you're not always going to do what you love and people and not, you know, everyone maybe not will have the ability to do what they love throughout their life. But I think when you find something that you enjoy to do and you're passionate about and you can make a sustainable living, maybe it's not millions of dollars a year, but maybe it's enough mm-hmm. to make you happy and do what you want to do and you enjoy going to work. 
I could never retire early. I always joke that I suck at golf. Like, I, I mean, I can't go play golf. You know, I, I mean, probably if I played it, you know, I'd be pretty decent, you know, but outside of that, I, I can't just quit everything today because I actually enjoy what I'm doing. Um, and, and secondly, like, I don't really want to just quit it and stop. Like, to me, the money is important. It's an important aspect of life. But if you enjoy what you're doing, whether you're making 50 grand a year or 500,000 a year or 50 million a year, right? As long as you're making ends meet and achieving the things that you want to achieve personally, there's no point to quit your job if you enjoy it. That's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, and I, I think that's really the, the goal of FIRE for a lot of people, like you said, is it's not to retire and sit on the couch and watch sports all day long. It's to be free to have to do a job that you're not interested in doing. And for some people they are in a phase of life where that is a necessity and it's it doesn't take too much to after a, a period of time get to a point where maybe you can start to push back a little bit at work and and say i want to be treated a little bit better or something like that and risk maybe some ne- negative effects but you feel okay with where you're at that you could either go have a, a few months of runway to go find a new job or something like that um, and really take back like control of, of your life. Yeah. There's, there's a sense that it's hard to explain the feeling of where you're not financially strapped to your, to your, to your job, nine to five, whatever it is. And I think there's a sense of empowerment maybe is the right word. Uh, for those that don't know, I'm really bad with words, but empowerment might be the word that were like people that are at a job and they spend everything they make. Right. And then they're, that means that they are then reliant upon the next paycheck because if they don't get the next paycheck, since they have no savings or little, no, little to no savings, they need that next paycheck to pay the bills. If they don't get that paycheck, they can't pay the bills. Right. Then they get behind and it is just a spiral downhill. So there's a sense of freedom or empowerment where, okay, I get paid $2,500 every two weeks or I get paid $2,000 every two weeks. It literally doesn't matter the number, but I'm only spending 80% of that and I'm saving slash investing 20% of that. And there will come a time where your savings slash investments are greater than, you know, your monthly paycheck, meaning, you know, you might have, if you're making $4,000 a month after taxes and your savings are now worth 20,000, hypothetically, you have five months of runway if something were to happen. So you can kind of maybe take a bet on yourself and, and, and you know, try to escape that nine to five through something else. Or you can just keep doing what you're doing because you enjoy your job. And, but there's really no stress of like, well, if I were to get fired, I'm confident in myself that I can find a new job. And if I can't, Within I have a few months. Yeah, like I have a few months. Is, but if, right. you are, if you have nothing left over and little to no savings, if you lose that $4,000 income, you need it the next month or else you're going to go into debt. And spiral, not spiral is the wrong word, but like you're going to get down that debt cycle and that's not good. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense of empowerment whenever you are not financially strapped to your nine to five or to your business. Yeah. And I think, I think you're spot on with that where it's, where it is, it's kind of a snowball effect where if you're saving zero and you're spending your, your entire income, you're going to have zero forever. It like in theory where if you're saving something, the next month you're going to have more than the first month and more than the second month. And that's where this snowball, like I'll get back to Dave Ramsey. Maybe we are on the same page about something, (laughs) but he talks about the debt snowball 
maybe there's a saving snowball in his teachings, who knows, but it really does snowball into a way that it just, you look up in three years and you say, wow, I'm really proud of myself for doing that. And on the flip side of it, hopefully you've also done a few fun things along the way where you can be excited about the journey as well as the destination. Yeah, no doubt. I always uh, joke that investing to me is addicting. I, I enjoy watching my money grow, but simultaneously I enjoy life. But there was a time when I did have to sacrifice a little bit more than I wanted to to get to this point. And it was only a couple of years, which in relative of life, you know, the average lifespan, a couple of years is less than 10%, less than 5% really. Um, and so um, are you willing to give up a little bit of fun, quote unquote fun, not that you can't have fun, but are you willing to give a little bit for a couple of years to set yourself up for a lifetime of the ability to choose options, I should say. With all that being said, we can snowball down to the end of the episode. What would be your biggest takeaway from someone listening to the end of this? If you did, by the way, thank you. What would be your biggest takeaway for a beginner investor, whether that be with their spouse or just individually? What would be like your biggest tip slash not financial advice for that for that person? Yeah, I would just say kind of a mantra to keep keep focused, which is start small and keep consistent. I love it. And brick. Brick by brick. And there we go. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Well, brother, decade investor, senior. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Uh, I would say link all your social medias, but you're kind of off the grid on social media, rightfully so. Well, just link your own socials. Yeah, you can find Decade <laughs> Investor Senior, which is actually just Decade Investor, down in the show notes below. And uh, maybe the app that you're using or the software that you're using was coded by Decade Investor Senior. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Of course. Thank you all for listening. Like I said, my name is Colin, also known as the Decade Investor. I appreciate the conversation and I'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye.